Mel Fanboy, episode 51. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles MFR here with you, and this is the 51st edition of the El Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? It is an ugly, cold, gray day here in New York, and uh, I, for one, am happy to be able to sort of take a break from everything and just sit here and talk some geek with you, because trust me, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, yesterday was a crazy day. I see, you know, I guess the last two days... Well, that's 48 hours have been crazy days because uh, John Campia uh, dropped some sort of little hint on his uh, YouTube show a couple days ago, and it's got everybody talking, everybody speculating, everyone rushing to judgment, and everyone wants to get that big scoop, that big exclusive, and uh, for certain people, it's uh, backfiring a little bit, trying to figure out what exactly it is that Campia was even talking about. But for those of you who might have been under a rock, let me just try to recap. Um, Mr. Campia has a YouTube show. He's a former writer for Collider, I believe, and uh, he's been, you know, he's he's been a pundit of some of some esteem, of some respect for a few years now. He also, I think, he also was on AMC Movie Talks. You know, he he knows his stuff. He's been around a while, and. Um, in general, I don't have an issue with him or any of his reporting. He's actually been fairly reliable, and, and a lot of what he's reported has synced up with things that I have shared. So, you know, I, I think uh, I have no real feelings about the man other than, uh, you know, he exists. But he said something on, on Wednesday about there being some crazy DC news, something that's you know, kind of earth-shattering and, and, and intense involving Warner Brothers and the DC Cinematic Shared Universe. And, uh, you know, he, he alluded to the fact that it seems like they really don't know what they're doing over there still. They're still somewhat lost and directionless. And this led to all kinds of things people are wondering. is Are, are, are they going to do a hard reboot? Or is this about Matt Reeves leaving Batman? Because that was the big, you know, rumor going around last week. And I have other people saying, like, are they about to let Henry Cavill go? Because as I reported last week, you know, Mr. Cavill is, is at that point in his contract where it's time to renegotiate. You know, he's got one appearance left. And, you know, he's going to pop up in Shazam, as I have exclusively reported. But, you know, they want a sequel. And, you know, he'd like to get to those negotiations sooner rather than later. So anyway, people are trying to figure out what it is that he's talking about. And it's funny, you should see, like, the behind the scenes. You should see, like, oh, you know, uh, on all the Twitter DMs, all the different journalists were all writing to each other. Have you heard anything? What do you think it is? What, you know, we're all trying to figure out what the hell it is that Campia is referring to. And, you know, when I spoke to some people that, you know, that I know, my, my sources over at Warner Brothers, um... You know, they're also scratching their heads, which is the funny part. So that tells me a couple of things. A, either he's completely overestimating this news. B, he's been misinformed and there is no crazy news. Or C, uh, somehow there's something crazy going on and it's so top secret 
that even people who work for Warner Brothers don't know about it yet. And maybe like only one or two people and maybe somehow Mr. Campia has a direct line to like directly to Mr. Hamada or somebody and he knows something that the rest of us do not know. Um, but here's the interesting part. As I, allu as I alluded to yesterday, you know, while trying to do some digging, I did find out something. Uh, you know, it's, and that's the thing, it's not earth shattering. And it, I, 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 you know, I'm hoping, I'm actually crossing my fingers actively right now here at my desk. I have both sets of fingers crossed that this, what I'm about to share with you doesn't become some sort of clickbait, salacious headline because it really is more just, um, it's more just like an interesting update on what's going on behind the scenes. There's, there's nothing crazy solid to report, which again is why it's, it's, it's been weird trying to figure out what Mr. Campia is referring to, because I'm just not finding any sort of crazy smoking gun. But anyway, um, here's what I discovered. Essentially, there is something to these Reeves murmurs. Now, it's not that he's leaving, just as I said last week, you know, he's not leaving, just as Campia himself said yesterday, you know, he wasn't referring to Matt Reeves, apparently, and as Matt Reeves himself, in the middle of the night, he took to Twitter and he said, you know, it ain't so, when someone, you know, tweeted at him, say it ain't so, as if he was leaving. So, you know, he's not leaving, but... While doing all of my investigative digging yesterday, I did hit upon this. Apparently, there have been some discussions. I don't want to characterize them one way or the other. I don't know if it's been tense. I don't know if it's been angry. I don't know exactly the, the nature of these conversations. But there has been some stuff going on between Reeves and the new guard at DC Entertainment because he's taken a very long time to get this Batman movie going, as far as they're concerned. You know, they, they want to know more about the script that he's working on. They want to nail down a production timeline. They want to get Batman up and running so sooner rather than later. Because what I'm hearing is, even though his movie, you know, as, as, as has been discussed ad nauseum by now, even though his movie is not going to be directly tied in and you know, he wants to really tell his own standalone story and they're giving him lots of space to do so, you know, there is still the shared universe element of they want this movie to come out because that's going to help them get Nightwing made, help them get Batgirl made. They don't want to touch on these Bat Family movies until the Batman has become stabilized, until that movie is, you know, that is the priority. They, they don't give a fuck about Batgirl and Nightwing and any of that other stuff until they have Batman in place. And right now, you know, he's had the job for nearly a year. And part of what got him the job, part of the, the what his contract states is that they're going to stay out of his hair. You know, he, he's, he's being given full creative freedom over where to take the character. He's, you know, he's been told he doesn't have to try to like really link it to anything else that's going on and so on and so forth. Because, you know, you know what happened with Ben Affleck last year. I've reported on it. They were driving him nuts. They were trying to rush this Batman thing into production, even though he was publicly making it very clear he wasn't happy with the script yet. It wasn't where he wanted it to be. He's telling people this in like January. And they're like, OK, we hear you. We hear you. But listen, can you film in April? You know, it was an insane situation. So Reeves does not want to be in that sort of situation. So when he was negotiating for the job, 
you know, he had stipulations created that would mean that they would stay out of his hair and let him make the movie as he sees fit. But now fast forward a year and Walter Hamada is the new sheriff in town and he wants to get this DCU, you know, course corrected and up and running and in prime tip top shape as quickly as possible. You know, he was given a task, save the DCU, because after Justice League, you know, even though they, they sort of survived Justice League, it didn't completely, you know, bomb and flop as some people would have you believe. You know, it just, it vastly underperformed, but overall, they still see that there's potential here that this thing could bounce back with the right slate of movies to follow it up. And as you guys have heard, you know, Aquaman is apparently going to be quite good. The buzz on it is very popular. Shazam is currently filming. And there's also updates on Wonder Woman, too. So they, they've got thing, good things are coming together right now for them. But Batman is an absolute priority for the studio, as it should be. You know, regardless of how you look at it, if you look at it from a business standpoint, the last two solo Batman movies, which are The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, each cleared a billion bucks. And it's very clear that pop culture and the zeitgeist loves itself some Batman. And if you look at it from a creative standpoint, you know, Batman is an iconic figure, an important pop culture icon. And whether or not you're trying to just appease to the hardcore fans who love Batman in all of his iterations and they want to see where he goes next and they're dying to see what Matt Reeves comes up with. In every conceivable way, Batman is a top priority and should be a top priority for DC Entertainment. And that is the case for Mr. Hamada. He wants, uh, he wants something solid to be able to work around when it comes to his Dark Knight, now that he's in charge of these characters. And apparently... You know, he, I don't know if it's him directly, but DC Entertainment and Matt Reeves have been having discussions, you know, that center on, can, can we please try to expedite this in some way? And before you roll your eyes and, and before you try to say, oh no, they're going to, you know, it, this is like Ben Affleck all over again. They're going to rush Mr. Reeves. You know, it seems to be slightly different. It, it's less cynical this time around. You know, with Affleck, it was really like, we don't care about the script. We just need you in a Batman suit jumping around and fighting bad guys so we can sell action figures and make a bunch of money. You know, it was like cynical under the old guard. With Mr. Hamada, you know, he wants this to be a good film. And he, he's trying to be reasonable. He wants Mr. Reeves to create something that, that you know, um, resonates with with. with yeah, I don't know, with the fans, with the critics, with everyone, on a level that his last couple of Planet of the Apes movies have. You know, he, he wants to give him the space to do that, but he's also looking at his watch and going like, buddy, you know, can we please, can we please get this going? So, you know, it's, um, it's th th that seems to be where a lot of this is coming from. It sounds like somewhere along the way, somebody heard that these conversations were having and then it became like a bad game of telephone because then they told someone and then they told someone, then it made it into the press. And by the time it made it our way where people started covering it, it had transformed from the two sides are trying to figure out a production timeline and whether or not Reeves can get the Batman in, into, into shape the way DC wants it to be. And somehow it became Matt Reeves is leaving. You know, everyone loves extremes. Everything is hyperbole. Everything is clickbait. You might notice I have not run a story on this on my site. Revengeofthefans.com 
is now, I think we're seven weeks old. It's still just a baby. And honestly, I could have run a story on all this stuff, and I could have gone very salacious, and I could have tried to get clickbait and have something that goes viral just to try to get the name out there. But that's not what I'm about. I, I want to have integrity. I want you guys to be able to put stock in what I have to say. And I don't want you to see me as a place for cheap clickbait. I don't want Revenge of the Fans to be that. So what we're dealing with here really is a very sort of nuanced and fluid situation. So I'm not going to make a determination. I'm not going to tell you that Matt Reeves is leaving. I'm not going to tell you that Walter Hamada is pressuring him. It's none of those things. But right now, this, the, there is a reasonable conversation going on between a director and his producer and you know, his, his quote-unquote boss about how do we get this Batman movie happening sooner rather than later. And if you look around, I mean, the writing really is on the wall. You know, there are a few different things convening into one location that is making this conversation a priority for everyone involved, all right? On the one hand, you have this potential merger with AT&T and all the potential drama that comes with that because, you know, with a new boss in town, who knows how they're going to look at the DC Entertainment brand? Who knows what they're going to want to do? You know, and if that falls through, you know, they may go, they may start shopping little bits of this off in individual chunks. And, you know, I don't even want to get into the hypotheticals of all that because honestly, it's above my pay grade. And I'd rather get a lawyer here on the show as a guest to talk it all over once, you know, if and when that all comes to fruition. You know, so you've got that, you've got that deal on one hand. On the other hand, you have this news that Matt Reeves is, you know, he's working with Netflix. And I think four days ago, news broke that you know, they, his production company has already announced its first Netflix project. And for now, he's merely attached as a producer. But it seems like, you know, his attention right now is kind of all over the place. You know, he's got the Batman thing coming in, in, in some sort of fashion, you know, on the pipeline, on the horizon. But he's also got this Netflix deal where, you know, they have a first look situation there and they want to get him producing things for them as quickly as possible. And trust me, Netflix probably also wants him directing because, you know, he's a good, he's a marketable name these days. So they're also kind of like waving flags and trying to get his attention and, and dangling shiny objects in front of his face. And then you have Warner Brothers going, okay, listen, we're happy about your Netflix deal, but hey, we gave you Batman. Can you please give us something solid to work with here? Because until you do, Chris McKay is in a holding pattern. Until you do, the Batgirl project is in a holding pattern. And we need a, a strong and, and valuable and viable Batman franchise if, you know, if our DCU is going to pull itself out of the rut that it's in. So, you know, it, it's... This whole thing really comes back to one topic that I have brought up and I've hinted at on this show. I've hinted at it on the Revengers podcast. I've hinted at it when I've just, you know, appeared on Batman on film vlogs and whatnot. And honestly, I, I've been meaning to make an entire sort of video essay YouTube thing to what I'm about to discuss with you, but I just don't have the time. It's been crazy, you know, between being the editor-in-chief of Revenge of the Fans, between being a doting father and a loving husband to my wife and my two kids, between the fact that I actually have a full-time career elsewhere, you know, I, I, I just don't have the time to make this video that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, 
You know, it's just one of these things where, you know, you got to remember, folks, Revenge of the Fans and these podcasts that I run, we're still basically in the labor of love phase. I do this stuff because I love it, because I want to speak to you. I want to get you the information that matters to you and because this stuff really matters to me. And if I weren't saying it with a mic in front of my face, I'd be saying it in my head all day while I'm doing other things. So I may as well put the mic in front of my face and let you enjoy it. But, you know, you got to remember, this is still just a labor of love. I'm not really making, like, any money on any of this. You notice I, I, there's no sponsors on this podcast. There's no commercial breaks. Um, we have some minimal ads running on the site right now. But if you have one of those ad blockers, you probably don't even see them because we're not pushy about it. You know, John and I are not making really a red cent on any of this. And I'm, you know, I, I, I devote practically a full-time, you know, uh, work week into all of these endeavors each week, basically out of, you know, for love of the game. But um, I just don't have the time to make the YouTube videos and all that sort of stuff. You know, if if, if we start getting more Patreon supporters, please visit patreon.com slash revenge of the fans. You know, if we start getting more Patreon supporters or we get some sponsors or we get whatever, then maybe I'll, I'll be able to start carving out more time to do things. But for now... I'm going to talk to you about it here in this medium on the El Fanboy podcast because what this whole thing with Matt Reeves and Warner Brothers really brings me back to is Warner Brothers has some very shaky ground ahead of it that they're about to tread on because what they're trying to do is somewhat unprecedented and the precedents that we have seen, you know, the results are very hit or miss. What I'm referring to is this idea of we want to have a shared universe, but we want it to be filmmaker-driven. So before we can fully get into that thesis, we have to look at a little bit of at the history and what's going on around us. So who is DC's primary competitor? DC's primary competitor is Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there's always all these big comparisons, you know, Marvel versus DC. What is the DCU doing wrong, quote-unquote, that the MCU is doing right, and so on and so forth. Well, in order to really have these conversations, and if you guys are going to persist in trying to have these chats on Twitter and on Facebook, you should at least try to understand how these things work and how sometimes we're really talking about apples and oranges. Because as similar as you know, uh, some of what the DCU wants to do is to what the MCU wants to do, they're going about it from fundamentally different paths. So things are way more different at times than they are similar. So let's try to understand what the MCU is doing. And in order to do that, I want you to think about your favorite TV shows, okay? By the way, some of this is going to seem a little familiar to longtime listeners, but uh, just bear with me because I, we, you know, I've got an, a lot of new listeners now, which is kind of incredible, and I'm uh, welcome aboard the El Fanboy Express, everyone. But, um, yeah, so some of this will, will feel a little familiar, but just, you know, bear with me. I'm going to try to still make it... Uh, intriguing for you. So in order to un understand what the MCU does and what they're doing and what they've, what they've done to great success, I want you to think of your favorite TV show. Think, you know, whatever it is. Stranger Things, Game of Thrones, This Is Us. You know, whatever the case may be, think of your favorite TV series, right? 
Like you think about the seasons of your favorite TV series and how like, oh, you think about all the highs and lows of the series and the, the twists and turns and the, the way the narrative flows really well and gets you on the edge of your seat and there's a cliffhanger in episode three and then you can't wait till episode five and the way it all builds to a conclusion, hopefully for the season finale, which then sets you up for the next season and you can't wait for a year and you're dying to see what happens. So think about that. And then go to the IMDb page for your favorite TV series and look at the episodes and look at the director slot. Usually, it's got different directors. Every episode has a different director. Now, how do you do that? How do you have this this one coherent, cohesive story being told, but each episode is like tag in, tag out, new director? You do that by having a strong showrunner. Every show has that one person who's the showrunner. They are the master producer. They are the engine that keeps this thing going. And every director who hops on board has to be a team player because they know we're heading towards this season finale. This is what I have to do. So yes, I'm a director, and yes, what I have to say matters, but ultimately, it only matters within the context of we are a team trying to achieve the same goal. So that Marvel has taken that TV concept and adapted it rather beautifully into film. They brought that to Hollywood. They brought that to the MCU, and that is one of the reasons why the MCU has had such great success. You know, sometimes it leads to films that are somewhat generic. It leads to films sometimes where like, oh, this really could have been directed by anyone. I mean, let's be real. You know, like I loved Spider-Man Homecoming as much as the next person, but it told me nothing about John Watts as a filmmaker. You know, Ant-Man was a fun little diverting two hours, but Peyton Reed, like, I don't know anything about Peyton Reed. I saw that movie and I still don't know what his style is because it just felt like a general Marvel movie. Same thing with Doctor Strange, and I hate to say that because I like Scott Derrickson. Um, but for me, you know, it had some great visuals and whatnot, but honestly, that could have been directed by, you know, you could have replaced the name and I wouldn't have noticed. So it leads, you know, it leads to the fact that sometimes their films will feel somewhat generic or somewhat flat, but at least they're all building towards the same thing. And that's what Marvel has done. And Kevin Feige is, quote-unquote, the showrunner. The buck stops at his desk. And the beautiful thing now is, since they've been around for 10 years, they're willing to give their, their directors a little more power, a little more space, because now they know that the Marvel Studios brand itself is so strong and so popular that they can risk kind of sending characters out on a limb a little bit and giving their directors a little more leeway. I mean, just look at Black Panther. That is absolutely a Ryan Coogler movie. You know, he co-wrote it. His fingerprints are all over it. It, it has socio-political things to say. It feels much more epic and grand and serious than most other Marvel movies. Like, that really felt like his movie. Then even Thor Ragnarok, that felt like Taika Waititi. I love saying that name. Um, yeah, yeah, but, like, think about it. That felt like a Taika Waititi movie. It had that same sort of off-kilter, dry, you know, insane sense of humor. And that verve that he has in his films was present here. 
So it looks like now that we've been around for 10 years, you know, Feige is starting to be able to trust the filmmakers more. You know, he ran into trouble with some of that early on before he really made a name for himself. In like phases one and two, there were some growing pains there. You know, there were some clashes with John Favreau about who's really in charge because Favreau thought he was in charge. And then Feige still kind of overrode him and made Iron Man 2 very much like a setup to Avengers. I'm sorry, John, if you're listening to this. I know you wrote a beautiful piece about how Iron Man isn't really the big world builder that everyone says it is. But, you know, Iron Man 2 really was, you know, to a certain degree, that's why Favreau has not been back to direct since because his movie somewhat got hijacked. Anyway, this is all just to say that after those initial growing pains, Feige kind of became like the Thanos. He became the most powerful voice in the MCU, and then he kind of ruled things with an iron fist. And we saw that happen when Edgar Wright left, and we know Joss Whedon was had a you know he'd had an ass full of that by the time Age of Ultron came out, and that's why he ultimately stepped away from the MCU. But now, you know, thankfully. Through all of his years of hard work and, and, and being, quote-unquote, the bad guy, now Feige is able to sort of, you know, reap the rewards of all this hard work and of being such a hard-ass about things. Now, the Marvel Studios brand means so much that he can afford to take some more risks. So, you know, I, I for one, am, am sort of excited to see where they go from here because they seem to be on a pretty damn good path. Um But anyway, so how does this all tie into what we're talking about today? DC doesn't want to do that. DC doesn't want to have that central figure. They want to kind of, you know, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want the shared universe where there's one general narrative that's being shared that, you know, that that they can celebrate every few years with like a Flashpoint crossover event or with a world's finest movie, or with a Justice League 2 or 3 eventually. You know, they want that, but they also want to kind of have it the old way, where the director of the film is is the god on set. They are the king of the castle. You know, the book stops at their desk, and they answer to no one. You know, they, they, they hire a guy like Matt Reeves. They say, go make this movie. We trust you. You're the best. Let us know when, when the test screenings are ready so we can come check out what you've been working on. They want to go back to that sort of thing. But the problem is those two things don't work together necessarily. They just don't. You can't do the shared world thing and also say, yay, Mr. Director, you can do whatever you want. Because what if Matt Reeves has a crazy idea? What if he shows up tomorrow and he says, all right, so in my Batman movie, you know, Batman, uh, you know, puts uh, <laughs> puts Alfred and Dick Grayson and Commissioner Gordon into a car and blows it up because he's tired of them. You know, he could do that. He obviously wouldn't. But I'm just saying, if he did, if he had some sort of wild-eyed, insane idea like that, technically, they've given him the creative license to do that. And to illustrate the pitfalls of that situation, we move on to our next comparison, and that's the Star Wars universe. So Star Wars also has tried to do this. You know, when they, when they first came out, you know, the, the, those first couple of years ever since Lucasfilm and was sold to Disney and Kathleen Kennedy took over, they kind of came out guns blazing, saying, you know, we've hired all of these young, unique, interesting filmmakers to, to put their stamp on the Star Wars universe, right? And then, but what has happened all along the way? 
all along the way, Kathleen Kennedy has had to step in and go, hang on a second, you have terrible ideas, and I need to change this. You know, look at, I mean, it, it started right from the beginning with episode seven, before it was called The Force Awakens. For episode seven, they hired Academy Award-winning writer Michael Arndt. And then what happened? They saw his ideas, they didn't like them, and they threw out his script. And then J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan had to come in and do a whole, you know, they had to rewrite it. They had to come up with a, basically a whole new script. So that, and, and they also delayed that because that was supposed to arrive in like May of 2015 and it arrived in Christmas. It got, it got like a seven-month delay. People always forget that because the movie itself turned out to be successful. Then you look on at what happened with Rogue One, where they, they, they wanted Gareth Edwards, fresh off of Godzilla, to work his magic. And what happened? They started seeing what he was coming up with. They didn't like it, and they essentially took the movie away from him. They brought in Tony Gilroy to write new scenes and direct new sequences, and the movie itself got totally reworked in a situation that really harks to what happened this past year with Justice League. Then you had Josh Trank, who they were you know, feeling very strong about because of what he had just done with Chronicle. And then they pulled the rug out from under him when they saw what happened with Fantastic Four, the, the, you know, the, that remake. You know, all of a sudden, boom, he got fired. Then Colin Trevorrow, what happened with him? He got fired. You know, they couldn't, you know, even though they had hired him because he was the director of Jurassic World and he was his big deal and Steven Spielberg had given him the, the big old thumbs up, Kathleen Kennedy didn't like where he was going with things and she let him go. Then there's Lord and Miller who had their own great track record, you know, the, tw the 21 Jump Street movies and the Lego movie. And, you know, what happened with them? They got fired two weeks before principal photography ended and then we got Ron Howard making this solo movie. Like every step of the way, Kathleen Kennedy has had to rethink this idea of hiring these interesting filmmakers and just kind of giving them creative freedom to explore their own space because she she keeps on second guessing them and saying well I don't like where you're taking it so they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do in many ways the situation with the Star Wars universe reminds me of like phase one and two of the MCU where they're essentially trying to figure out who the boss is. Is the boss going to be the director or is the boss going to be Kathleen Kennedy? Because Kathleen Kennedy is the Kevin Feige of Lucasfilm, of that whole Star Wars universe. She's, you know, she's kind of made herself the architect, so to speak. I don't think she's as, she's as hands-on as Mr. Feige is. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, the buck stops at her desk and all the directors basically have to make sure that she's on board with what they're doing. Ultimately, we're going to have to see how that plays out. You know, Ryan Johnson's got that new trilogy coming out. You've got uh, Weiss and Benioff working on their own, you know, the, the, the Game of Thrones creators who are now going to make their own series of Star Wars films. Yeah, we're going to see how this whole situation evolves. But for right now, it hasn't been pretty because it has to be clear who's in charge. And that brings me to, like, what the final comparison is and that is Fox's X-Men universe. Warner Brothers is on a path right now to basically try to mimic the XCU as I call it. And the XCU, let's not forget, has been very hit or miss. All right? Cuz they they have that same thing. The XCU is actually the granddaddy of them all, really, in terms of these modern day superhero universes. People don't give them the credit they deserve. They've been around since 2000. It's been 18 years of X-Men movies. 
And they were really the first ones to start thinking about expanding, where it's like, let's not just make X-Men movies. Let's also make standalones about individual characters. Let's make prequels. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, even though Marvel gets all the credit for being the world builders, it was Fox who first dabbled with all that stuff. But they didn't have that central figurehead. They just didn't have it. And, and I'm not sure that they still do. Because even Simon Kinberg, who seems to be the architect over there, he also seems intent on trying to let the filmmakers explore their own space and, and make their own movies and not kind of rule with an iron fist. And what's interesting, if you look at that, you know, the X-Men franchise, we're 18 years in, and there have been some insane highs and lows. It's all over the place. It is hard to track how one feels about the X-Men universe, because movie by movie, the quality either shoots up or falls completely down the shitter. <laughs> you know, on the one hand, you've got X2, X-Men United, you know, you've got First Class, you've got Days of Future Past, you've got Deadpool, you've got Logan. Oh, Logan. I love that damn movie. So you have these incredible bits of cinema, but then this is the very same franchise that's given us X-Men Origins Wolverine, that's given us, you know, X3, uh, you know, The Last Stand, who's given us X-Men Apocalypse, who's given us a continuity that you can't even follow, where William Stryker in one movie is like 65 and in another movie set maybe five years prior is like 25, where the continuity is all screwed up, where you don't know, is Jean Grey alive? Does Logan know Jean Grey? Is Cyclops dead in this continuity? Is, uh, is Professor X dead in this continuity? Who is the Magneto in this one? What is this a follow-up to? You know, the continuity with the XEU is all over the place, which, by the way, I don't necessarily mind. I've always said, just give me amazing movies and I can, I can overlook your continuity issues. But the reason I bring this up is because of the way that the XCU is put together, it's hard to have a cohesive and coherent vision. And that is the very same path that Warner Brothers is on. And that's scary. And that's coming from me, someone who's been an optimist for the DCU. And I still am. I still really think that they, they, they can do this. They could turn this ship around. If they can give a bunch of phenomenal films like Wonder Woman, you know, these great standalone tales that really emphasize what these heroes are all about and can inspire you and make you cry, and make you laugh, and make you want to stand up in the theater and cheer, that can, you know, if, if they can really do this, I think they can be great. But that is my one big concern. And that is what this Matt Reeves, Walter Hamada conversation that's happening right now brings me to. Because how can you, you can't have it both ways. You just can't. If you want a coherent and cohesive shared universe where everything is a different sort of cog in a wheel that's all pulling the machine in the same direction, then you need to have that guy or that woman, that person who is overseeing everything and who has the power and the authority to say, okay, listen, this script that you've turned in, it's all well and good, but that screws us up for these movies that we want to make. So you need to, you know, we need to alter that. You need to have that hard ass 
who's going to crack the whip and, and, and try to make sure that everything is working in service of the greater good of the overall DCU brand. If you have a bunch of people going into business for themselves, only telling the stories that they want to tell the way they want to tell them, you're not going to, you know, the shared universe thing is going to end up being a lot like the Fox X-Men universe, where the quality is going to be very hit or miss. You're never going to know. There's not going to be one standard from one film to another. And that's why if you're happy with the Fox X-Men universe, if you're cool with DC kind of heading down that path where the quality will range greatly, where the continuity will be questionable and kind of like Swiss cheese with all the holes involved in it, then fine. Then let them continue down this path and we're just going to go for the ride and we're going to see where this takes us. But if you're someone who wants to see the DCU rise up to the level of, of just general standard and quality of the MCU or better, which by the way, I think they could be totally better because, uh, you know, I happen to disagree with some of the comments I've heard lately, like from even, you know, uh, a friend of the show, Mark Miller, apparently had some comments about how Marvel's characters just seem to be better for movie, more cinematic or easier to adapt than the DC characters. I, for one, don't believe that. I think DC has the greatest, most mythological pop culture figures of the modern era. But anyway, that was a, ta <laughs> a tangent. Um if you want to see them rise to the top and and keep the shared universe conceit, they're going to have to switch. They're going to need to have that one person. Many of us would like that one person to be Jeff Johns. And I would, I'm still advocating for that. I think it would be ideal if rather than just treating him as a consultant, they treated him as the guy. If he became the Feige... Or even if, listen, if that's making you roll your eyes and you have someone else, please tweet at me your suggestions. Maybe you think it should be, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> but, you know, they need to have one person calling the shots. That's what this all boils down to. That's how you're, you're, you're going to nip situations like this in the bud. Otherwise, you're going to end up with another X-Men situation, which for some people is fine. For me, I kind of want better of my DC heroes. And there are also like residual, you know, um, side effects to this approach. Because if you think about it, this week we got another example of the, of, of the sort of dysfunction of the situation going on there. Where this Shazam costume leaked. You know, someone took a picture on an open set with their cell phone and they shared these pictures online and people now see the Shazam thing. And according to Zachary Levy or Levi, or Levy, or I don't know, I don't know how the hell you say his name, I should look it up, but I'm lazy right now. Um, according to him, it was not planned. According to director David F. Sandberg, you know, they have an official picture ready to go, which they were kind of ready to release to try to get ahead of the leaked picture situation. But what happened? It never got released. There was some sort of communication breakdown, and now the first look the world has is this obscured side picture, which now people are scrutinizing, and it doesn't, you know, it, it, it wasn't handled with the sort of grandiosity of the first looks we've gotten in the past. You know, we got a beautiful look at Superman before Man of Steel came out, where he's standing there in front of the safe. I shared that image. 
Um, we got that very moody, you know, kind of polarizing, but at least it was moody and iconic of Batman, where he's standing in front of the Batmobile, kind of slouching, and it led to a bunch of sad Batman memes. But still, it was much better than a leaked cell phone picture. We also had that great shot of, like, Wonder Woman standing in the middle of a battlefield, it looks like. And again, that's also been criticized, because that, that's back when her costume looked like the whole thing was bronze, and she looked like Xena. And since then, they totally rethought all that, and now they've boosted the reds, the yellows, and the blues. But at least, you know, she got a, a legitimate debut photo. They unveiled her to the world in a way where she could make a strong first impression one way or the other. Instead, with the Shazam situation, you're getting stupid cell phone pictures. And to me, this is all part of that. There's not one person calling the shots right now. There needs to be, that, there needs to be a cohesion. You know, David Sandberg should not be able to go on Twitter and reveal that, hey, we have an official picture, but I don't know why it hasn't been released yet. Like, this is crazy. You know, and you can't have Charles Roven going around basically contradicting what other WB execs say. You know, earlier this week, I wrote a piece about the fact that he was basically downplaying Wonder Woman saying that, oh, no, we were always going to do the things that we're doing now. It had nothing to do with Wonder Woman. And in general, you know, here's a guy who was out there, you know, just spouting outright lies about Justice League. You know, everyone has to be on the same page. Everyone has to have the same talking points. This thing needs to be a well-oiled machine. And right now, with this sort of situation they have, where Hamada is quote-unquote the boss, but everyone is able to do whatever the fuck they want, that's how you get down this path, where everything is still sort of, you know, confusing. You have one person saying one thing, you have another person saying another, you have Chris McKay talking about a Nightwing movie and getting people's hopes up, but then we find out it's really still in its very, very early stages. You get when, you know, it, it's just, it's a mess. So they need, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that DC officially, they need to have that guy. They need to have that guy, that girl, that whatever the hell, they need that boss figure. And if, my, if it sounds like my feelings on this matter are evolving on the spot, it's because they are. You know, I'm talking to you. I have no notes in front of me. Everything I've said for these last 40 minutes has been coming straight from my chest and straight from my heart and straight from my mind. So I'm working this out with you while you listen to me. But the more I think about it, the more it's clear that they need a boss. Because as much as I appreciate the X-Men Cinematic Universe, and as much as I've loved Logan and Deadpool, and I've really, really enjoyed some of the earlier X-Men films, right now, I want this DCU thing to finally just be running like a smooth machine. And you're not going to do that with the current regime doing things the way they currently are. And the key is going to be whether or not they could find directors who are brilliant yet also team players. That's going to be the, the tough part. Because, and they don't have a great history with that. Warner Brothers does not have a great history with that. You know, because Christopher Nolan, for all of the great ups and downs of what he did for us and all the heights that he brought to the Batman franchise and to the Batman intellectual property and all the money that he made and all the, uh, you know, the great credit and respect that he deserves for the, for the Dark Knight trilogy, you know, he, he kind of hobbled them. They gave him all the same creative freedoms that they're now giving to people like James Wan and Matt Reeves. But what did he do with it? He ended the story. 
Tell me another time where you've seen a franchise that's making billion-dollar entries left and right, you know, where Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises are doing this insane business and getting everyone very excited, but then it just ends. You know, by basically, quote-unquote, killing off Bruce Wayne and having him right off into the sunset and all that sort of stuff that he did, he was basically given the creative leeway to end what could have been a golden goose that would lay eggs for Warner Brothers for years upon years to come. Had they figured all this out sooner, you know, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, that, that could have been the beginning of all of this cinematic world, the shared DC universe. But they gave Nolan the ability to end it on his own terms, and then what did they have to do? They had to reboot it. It's insane. And this cannot be overstated. The last time Batman was rebooted, it's because Batman and Robin, you know, was a huge black eye on the on the franchise and they kind of had no choice. They had to start from scratch. But Christian Bale's Batman and that continuity that they had created with with Michael Caine and and Gary Oldman, that could have been that could have been just an evergreen property. They could have gone so many different places from that, but they gave Mr. Nolan all of the creative control that he wanted. He wasn't necessarily the best team player, with all due respect to him. And now, then they had to reboot Batman, not even two or three years after The Dark Knight Rises, because of, this, of where he left the character. So, if you're looking for evidence of how this situation can go poorly, look no further than what happened with the Nolan franchise, where a good thing came to an abrupt end because one man decided that his vision and the story he wanted to tell was more important than sharing and creating a greater narrative. And I don't know about you, but I, for one, don't want to see that happen with Matt Reeves' Batman. I don't want to see that happen with Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. I don't want to see that happen anywhere. I want these properties to get, you know, treated with the respect and given all the resources they need and, and, and cultivate these things into these wonderful bits of superhero cinema. But I don't want situations like what happened with Nolan. I don't want this Wild West setting where each filmmaker can just go into business for themselves and take their chips and leave whenever they want and position these characters in a way that maybe doesn't work with the rest of what DCU is trying to build you know, I just, it doesn't work. So here's kind of, here's my final ultimatum. If we're going to do shared universe, then you need that one central figurehead. If we're going to do filmmaker driven, then just blow the whole damn thing up and let each one of these things just exist completely on its own, and there is no more shared universe concept. No crossovers, no post credit sequences with the Legion of Doom, none of that stuff. Either one or the other, stop trying to do both. And you, yes you, as a fan, you have to ask yourself what it is that you want. Because there's no free lunch here. There are trade-offs. There are pros and cons to both approaches. And you have to decide which one you really want. Because if we're not all on the same page, then we can't all fight for the same thing. And maybe we can't all get on the same page, but you, as you consider these matters, as you read these daily news updates, as you clamor and clamor for details on your favorite upcoming movies and, and hope, that, hope and pray that they shape up the way you want them to go, you have to understand, like I said, there's no free lunch, okay? Because on the one hand, you could have the cohesive universe 
where you may not always walk away from each film absolutely in love with it, but you are going to like the general world that they're building. Kind of like what's happened with the Marvel movies. Or even if there's a Marvel movie coming out that you're not 100% keen on, or if you didn't absolutely love the last one, you still want to go check it out because you know what? You like being in that world that they've created for two hours. So you know, the, the, the films will end up being a little bit safer, a little less incredible, but at least they're creating a world and a landscape that you like to visit every few months for two, for two hours at a time. Or you could have the other approach where every once in a while you get a movie you absolutely love that gives you the goosebumps and knocks you on your ass. But then there's no guarantee that the next one is going to be anywhere near as good. And there also won't necessarily be any like real clarity of vision for the overall franchise. So you'll really just have to enjoy each film on its own as its own standalone experience and just hope that the next director picks up the baton and keeps this thing going. So there's a lot more guesswork. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like high risk, high reward, similar to the, what the Fox movies. For every Logan, there's an X-Men Origins Wolverine. If you want Warner Brothers and DC to head down that path, then that's what you want. If you want things to stabilize and become more of a, a well-oiled machine, if you want to silence all this drama and all this noise that pops up every time a new DC movie comes up, if you want to stop hearing about directors jumping on and then leaving and then being in talks and then signing on, but then finding out maybe they're not signed on, you know, if, if you want to just do away with all of this uncertainty, then it's time to embrace the idea of having that one chief architect because this situation i swear it's almost like dating you know when, you, when you're choosing who to date and who to marry and who to invest your time in you know you could either go with like the the, the wild and crazy one who you're going to have an, a, you know, a very intense time with but it could also you know you, you could see the writings on the wall it could all go up in flames but while it's amazing it's amazing and while it's horrible it's horrible but it's still quite a, it's quite a ride. Or you go for the safe bet. You go for that person who like, you know, I'm not crazy about them, but they're never going to hurt me. You know, that we're always going to have at least a nice time. So this situation right now is kind of like that. It's kind of like picking, it's like picking a lover. <laughs> Isn't that strange? <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. But it's true. I think it is an apt comparison. And you, you need to figure out what kind of lover you want the DCU to be for you. Personally, for me, I want stability right now. I'm tired of this hot and cold, on-again, off-again relationship. I'm tired of this uncertainty. I'm tired of having my worst fears Proven true, you know, because this situation with Matt Reeves and Walter Hamada and DC Entertainment and all this stuff that's happening right now, you know, this is like the confirmation of fears of mine. Anyone who's been listening to this show for a while and has followed my appearances elsewhere, you know that I've been railing on about this for a while. That ever since they announced, I think in like September or whenever that vulture piece was, when Jeff Johns and Diane Nelson spoke to Abraham Reisman over there at uh, Vulture, and they were talking about, we're going filmmaker-driven, but you know we're still going to have the shared universe. I'm like, you can't do both. You can't do both. 
And that's why hearing this stuff from Reeves, it's just like, you know, this is the confirmation of my worst fears for this franchise. Because you have the studio wanting one thing, you have a director who's kind of doing his own thing, and they need to try to find a way to meet in the middle. And I don't want to have to go through this with every DC movie. I don't want to have to have this guessing game of how it's all going to work out after every DC movie. So at this point, it might be safer. It might be a little more boring. It might be a little less exciting. But at this point, I want something safe. And right now, getting one person to be like the overall boss, where the buck stops here, where here are your talking points. You're not going to say anything I don't want you to say. You notice how, like, with all the Marvel movies, there's almost, like, a certain amount of fear where the writers and directors and actors all kind of have to look over their shoulder whenever they're asked questions about the movies because they know. They'll make references to, like, ah, the Marvel snipers are going to get me if I say anything. But that's because of that ironclad control because there's that one person who makes sure that the messaging is clear. Here's what we want to put forward. Here's what we want to de-emphasize. Here's what we're not going to talk about at all. You even see it in the other branch of Disney over in the Star Wars universe who like whenever Kathleen Kennedy makes a change, we know about it. We hear but basically someone got fired. You know, the only one where they were ever sort of shady and dodgy about it was Gareth Edwards in Rogue One. And that's because he was a team player and they, you know, since he decided, all right, fine, do whatever the heck you want with the movie. They decided to play nice and just keep him on board and they still gave him credit for the movie, even though... You know, it was really a co-director situation there. But overall, they've been very transparent. You know what happened there. You know, she, she, the messaging is very, very clear. There's not a lot of question marks when it comes to Star Wars. There are never any question marks when it comes to Marvel. So maybe we need some of that fear. Maybe DC needs to have its own snipers. You know, people need to start, like, if you work for this company... You, we, you are part of a team, you are part, you are just a small cog in a larger machine, and you have to respect what we're doing, you have to represent us well, and we all have to be working towards the same exact goal. I don't think that's such a bad trade-off, personally. And while, you know, in an ideal world, we could have our cake and eat it too, and everyone can be as diplomatic as Patty Jenkins, and based on what's, what some of my spies are telling me about Aquaman... It sounds like James Wan has also been a pretty good team player in terms of honoring the shared world around him while still telling a standalone story. So while you know we've been lucky with Patty Jenkins and we're gonna be lucky with James Wan, and you know from what it, everything I'm hearing about David Sandberg Shazam, he's also being a team player. There's no guarantee. You know this situation from what I'm hearing about the Matt Reeves situation. You know, with this current setup, there's not a guarantee that every director who signs on is going to drink the Kool-Aid and work with the team. You know, and, and Reeves has been very sort of vocal in the past about how, how on its own his movie is going to be. In fact, he's emphasized in so many different ways that his Batman films are going to be on their own, that it's made people question whether or not they're going to be part of the shared world at all. You know, so Reeves has kind of been, you know... He's been the exception to the rule for the last year or so with, with the DCU's current direction. He really, you know, he wants this individuality thing so strong 
that, you know, listen, he's still currently signed on and I stand by that. And it's every, you know, everything I'm hearing is, you know, he's not lying. He's still here. But this situation could go south. You know, and that's why I was sharing some of those cryptic links I was sharing yesterday. You know, people were making a lot about the things that I was tweeting as I was sort of watching from the sidelines. And, you know, I shared the uh, curious case of Benjamin Affleck piece mainly because I was getting some of that deja vu where it was starting to remind me, some of what I was hearing was reminding me of what happened with Ben Affleck's Batman where the studio wants this thing and they want it now. And I also shared the Zack Snyder piece because, you know, in that piece I cover the way Warner Brothers has a history of sort of forcing their director's hands where they won't come out and fire you but they'll put you in a situation where you just don't really want to work here anymore, so you end up quitting, and then you cite creative differences, and you go off. You know, and I also shared that thing from The Wrap, uh, you know, because <laughs> just to kind of point out that The Wrap and that author in particular, you know, they kind of have a, a history of towing the company line. You know, last year when all the reshoot stuff was coming out, you know, I broke the story via the Splash Report that Justice League was going to be majorly overhauled. And the very next day, this writer and the rap came out and said, well, according to my inside sources, there is no, you know, nothing crazy. We just have some standard pickups coming. And that was the corporate company line. So when the rap comes out and says everything is fine, listen, they are partially in the WB's pocket. And that writer in particular seems to be doing everything he can to be in WB's good favor since he has a checkered pass of getting blacklisted and shown the door by Marvel and other companies by being too much of a renegade. He seems to be doing everything he can to make Warner Brothers love him. So when he put out that thing, which I'm glad John Campia came out and pissed all over, um... That's why I shared that report from May of last year. We're like, listen, the rap and that writer in particular, when it comes to matters of Warner Brothers, he's always going to tell you what Warner Brothers wants you to hear. He's not going to tell you the truth. Uh, in this particular case, he's not wrong. You know, Matt Reeves is still the director. He has not left. So I'm not calling him a liar. I'm not saying that his, you know, in this particular case, he's, he's talking out of his ass. Reeves is still there, but I'm here to just add an extra layer to this, which is to say that the situation is not cut and dry. It is fluid. The two sides right now are having discussions about whether or not he can get this thing into a shape that they want it to be in so that they can kind of continue with their plan. Because without Batman, we're not getting Nightwing. Without Batman, we're not getting Batgirl. And I think there might even be things that hinge with Suicide Squad 2, where you know, they need to have clarity on what's happening with Batman, because as of now, I believe Batman is part of Suicide Squad 2. So they have to know what's going on with this character. So they're, they're at Matt Reeves' door saying, okay, what is the plan? Where are you going with this? We have a lot of things that we're trying to get going here. And we can't have you dragging your heels any further. We need answers. And look, I'm an equal opportunity offender, all right? That writer at the rap is on my shit list for personal reasons 
And, you know, we used to work together at Latino Review, and there's so much I could say about him, trust me. But I've just kind of got it stored away, locked away for future use if ever needed. But, you know, John Campia is the other end of this equation. And, you know, while I said earlier I, I have no axe to grind with him, he just sort of exists, whatever. This particular thing, though, is really troublesome. You know, I don't appreciate this. I don't appreciate you going on your open mic show and suddenly making it feel like putting all this doom and gloom and poisoning the well for fans around the world. People are excited about these movies. They're trying to feel optimistic. There's still a lot of uncertainty coming out of Justice League. Everyone's just trying to think of the best. And for you to come out there and vaguely float these comments out there it's 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 kind of infuriating. It's and it's sort of amateur hour, and I'm surprised because he's a professional and he knows his stuff. But to kind of just like, oh, listen, I can't say anything, but something horrendous is coming, and the people who are in who are charged with making the movies about the characters you love the most, they're clueless and lost, and everything is scary. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. You you'll find out later. Like you've started a shitstorm. You created. This ugly, vitriolic situation. And like, why? So you can get some more YouTube clicks and, and, and get, get some more money from your sponsors? Like, I don't know. To me, it's a very low-class move. If you're going to say it, just fucking say it. If you're, gonna, if, you, if you're not going to, then keep your mouth shut. And I'm sorry, Mr. Campia, if you're listening to this and I've, I've misjudged the situation by all means... You know, I'll apologize to you and I'll own up and I'll say, oh, I was, you know, I, I spoke out of turn. Trust me, I'll never do that for the rap guy. But for you, Mr. Campia, I'm willing to, to take the L and apologize to you. But right now, on the surface, this is a, this is a nasty situation you've created. Because now you, you have no idea the amount of people who reached out to me yesterday saying, please give me some good news. Because while to you these may just be movies or you may, you may be cynical and detached, people love these characters. People are invested in the DC universe. People have grown up on the cartoons and the comic books and the action figures. These are the heroes that they grew up on. They're, they're beacons of light. They're inspirations. They went to bed in their, in their Superman underoos as little kids. They're people who these, ma these movies matter to. They're people who cry and flip out about Zack Snyder and they love him so much and they make, <laughs> they make uh, memes where he looks like baby Jesus, which is probably a little over the top. But listen, you know, people are, are very passionate about this. You can't float out these doom-filled, awful negative messages and not back it up. So I really wish he hadn't done that. I would love to know what the hell he was talking about. No one I've spoken to seems to have any idea what he was trying to put out there. But for the time being, the DCU is still on. There's no reboot. There's, uh, there's, a, you know, there's conversations happening right now between Reeves and the studio about the Batman because they'd like to get this going sooner rather than later. I won't say that they're fighting. This is not like Affleck versus the old WBDC regime. This is a new, much more diplomatic, much more nuanced situation. But that's all I hear that's happening. And until I hear otherwise, I'm going to continue to root for them. I'm going to continue to root 
for the fact that I think they're going to right the ship. I'm going to continue to root for the fact that I hope Mr. Hamada decides that there is going to be that one person who calls the shots because all of this uncertainty helps no one. And I wish, sometimes I wish I didn't care so much. You know, we, we are just talking about movies and, and, and intellectual properties at the end of the day, and I'm not making any money on these movies, and, and I shouldn't be invested. They're just fleeting bits of entertainment. But, you know, growing up, I didn't have a lot. There were, I didn't have a lot to be happy about growing up. When I was a little kid, Superman was my friend. These characters and, the, and the, these stories that they tell, they, they have the chance to inspire people and to bring people together and put a smile on their face at times that are increasingly dark and scary and uncertain. So just like leave, leave my friends alone. Leave my, leave my heroes alone. Let them inspire people. Tell great stories. Unite people. I don't want any more of this uncertainty. I'm sorry. Um, I just don't want any more negativity or ugliness around this. So make the right decisions. People stop making it seem like things are worse than they are. Until next week, adios. Adios.